We see this in movies all the time. You get to that two-thirds, three-quarters point of, in the movie where there seems to be impossible odds against the goodies winning. So it's the boat that's sent to kill Jaws is half-eaten. It's the final scene of Empire Strikes Back, or I went to see Disney princesses on ice yesterday, so my mind's in. It's Cinderella's stepsisters have torn a dress. And those points that are always there, like two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through the movie, um, because we can relate to it, can't we? We can relate to feeling hopelessly lost and defeated. Uh, And we like the idea of beating the odds. How are you going to make it? Or when you have exams or a job deadline looming and you've got more to do than can ever be done. I'm going Disney now again. That sounds lanking, doesn't it? More to do than can ever be done in the time that you've got to do it. How are you going to make it? And we experience it in relationships. That row that you've had. That breakup that leaves you angry and confused, hurt. And you can't see your way back. You can't see how the relationship can ever be restored. How are you going to make it? So we've been looking at Isaiah, and now we get to these servant songs. And the point in history of God's people that Isaiah is addressing here is that point we're talking about, where everything seems lost, everything seems hopeless. Uh, They're in exile in Babylon, in, in their enemies' territory. See, God had a plan to save the whole world through this little nation, through Israel. And right now that plan seems in tatters. Because over and over, instead of loving God, who has given them so much, they've rebelled against him. And they've become more evil than the nations that surrounded them. And so broken has the relationship become that they've been kicked out of the house. They've uh, been exiled out of Israel into Babylon, their enemy. How are they going to make it? And yet, Isaiah's message for them from God is now one of hope, the promise of restoration. God's original plan is still go. But how? How are they going to get from what it said in Isaiah chapter 1, see the faithful city has become a prostitute. She was once full of justice, righteousness, used to dwell in her, but now murderers. How are they going to get from that kind of status to what it says in chapter 2? In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. How are they going to get from prostitute to people wanting to stream to them? Maybe their time in exile will straighten them out. Uh, enough time sat on the naughty step will put them straight. Now in chapter 42, they're addressed in exile as being, still being blind and deaf, enslaved, under judgment, and spiritually dull. It looks like the gap is unbridgeable. But then dispersed through this chapter 40 to chapter 55 section of Isaiah, we get to meet this mysterious figure, this servant of the Lord. And we've heard, Jamie's read for us, three of these songs uh, which Jamie's read, and we'll hear a fourth one shortly from Anne. What stood out to you from them? I'm going to have a quick run through of the ones we've heard so far. But this is where the hope lies. It seems this servant, this servant is the main player 
in God making his plans happen and fulfilling all the promises he had for his people. Now, in mixers, the mixers have just gone out, our primary age school ministry, we're always trying to get past the Sunday school answer. You know, you ask a question and the answer is, Jesus got the Bible. And if you've been around the bay for more than five minutes, you'll know that we're all on about Jesus. So is Isaiah, writing 700 odd years before Jesus' birth, talking about Jesus? Are these servant songs Jesus songs? Well, yes. We'll give away the end. Yes, they are. But we'll, and we'll see that Jesus has filled so much of this. It's hard to think it's not him. But just want you to use this, help you, help it to enjoy Christmas or Christmas in July. So we're going to get sort of deeper and deeper, find out more and more about who this servant is. So then when you get to Christmas in July and Jesus is celebrate Jesus being born, all that comes together. Beautiful tension. Release of tension. But for now, are you worried there? let's keep ourselves in prequel mode. You know when you go and watch the, a prequel movie, you, you know the hero is going to survive because he's in the original movie. But you suspend that knowledge and you still enjoy the tension of the prequel before you. And you're intrigued to find out what makes your hero tick. And sometimes you get new insights into your hero that change your whole perception of him. So these songs that we're looking at give us God's background notes on Jesus, God's plans, God's purposes, God's motivation. So uh, some of you around in the 70s remember concept albums. Uh, Let's listen to the the tracks on this servant concept album and see what we can find out about him. Um, We can't cover everything. There's heaps to find out in these songs, but um, let's hear the, the the main chord progressions, if you like. So first of all, in chapter 42, 1 to 9, uh, that first song Jamie read, we find that the servant will bring justice um, in chapter 42. Uh, in this song, we find out that verse 1, the servant will have God's spirit on him, that it will bring justice to the nations. He's going to do this gently, verses uh, 2 and 3. Uh, But 42 verse 4, he won't stop until he establishes justice and hope for the whole earth. So justice. Now the word justice here, it's um, a much broader meaning than the right decision being made in court. uh, People getting their just desserts. It's got this sense of putting God's plan, God's rule, God's salvation into full effect. If you want to know what that looks like, come back next week and listen to Jamie talk about Isaiah 55. And we'll get a beautiful picture of that. But for now, the servant is going to bring about the judgment and salvation of the nations and their willing submission to Yahweh, to God. The next song we heard, chapter 49, 1 to 6. Chapter 49, 1 to 6. And we find that this servant is the ideal Israelite. So here, verse 3, the servant is named Israel, and yet verse 5, he's sent to gather Israel. So what's going on? Well, the servant is representing Israel as the ideal Israelite. So in Hebrew thought, a single person could represent um, a people group while still having a mission to rescue them. 
Now, I've got a slide here. This bloke will mean nothing to you. The bloke on the right is called Tony Wilson. So when I was 18 in Manchester, the rest of the world caught up what we already knew, that Manchester was the coolest place on the planet and produced the best music. And tied up in that whole scene, this mad Chester scene, they called it, was this guy called Tony Wilson. He was behind bands like New Order, Joy Division, um, Happy Mondays. And he was called Mr. Manchester because he just seemed to be involved in everything. So he, he was part of Manchester. He was Mancunian, and yet he served Manchester as well. We couldn't understand it when we got to Adelaide. Beautiful cities like, oh, why have you moved here? Whereas Manchester was all sort of, it's the best place on the planet. It, it wasn't. But, and it was largely thanks to this guy doing his service as a Mancunian to Manchester. A single person representing a whole per- people. Have a look at this diagram. So this, you might recognise this from the uh, study booklets. So you've been using those. So God created the whole world for his glory and for his purposes. Humanity failed to rule the earth as God's representatives to oversee the earth. So God chose, chooses one nation, Israel, to be his people. And through these people, he promises to bless the whole world. But how's that plan going? Well, we've seen in chapters 1 to 39 of Isaiah that even this chosen people have repeatedly failed to remain faithful to God. Uh, Isaiah's message has been just more recently been looking at speaking of a remnant. So a faithful few from the nation of Israel, it's narrowed down further, um, who will be spared destruction because they stay faithful. And we've also had a hint of a, of a royal figure In chapter 11, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And now we see in these servant songs, this remnant has been whittled down to just one person. One truly faithful and obedient person. One whose mission it is to bring Israel back to God and bring salvation to all the nations. And just finally, quickly, we heard uh, chapter 50, 4 to 9. And that showed us that the servant, he listens to God. Verses 4 and 5. Uh, He obeys God. Verse 5. And yet, despite being obedient, he's going to suffer. Uh, He's going to be unflinching in his obedience, which means he'll suffer, but means God will vindicate him. So we get that the servant listens to God's word and obeys it and teaches it, but why the suffering? And how does the fact that the servant is so good, so obedient, help us? How is the servant going to bridge the gap? How is he going to help Israel make it? How is the servant going to help us to make it? We're going to hear that fourth song now from Anne, and then I'll come back. Thanks, Anne. Okay, Isaiah 52, verse 13 to 53:12, page 735. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. 
So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge of my righteousness, servant will justify many. My righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. There I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Thanks, Anne. So we're left with this question. How is this servant going to help Israel make it? to become the light to the whole world that they're promised they'll be. And how are we going to be part of that promised, perfect, painless future that's promised with God? So what we get here in chapter 52 and 53 that we've just heard is this, the big reveal about the servant, how it is that he will perfectly fit the bill to make God's plan happen, to fulfill God's promises <coughs> And if you spent any time in the Gospels, you'll, you'll know that this reads like a bit like Jesus' resume. So I've gone with that employment theme in your outlines, just, to, just as a framework to latch the thoughts onto. But the song starts with a kind of job summary, verse 13. And this is like the headline of the whole song, if you like. Um, the spy novelist John Le, Car- John Le Carre said that if you say the sentence, the cat sat on the mat, it's not really... A story. But if you say 
the cat sat on the dog's mat. You know you've got a story coming. And the opening of this song tells us that there's more to be told here. So God reckons that the servant, this is from God's point of view, these opening verses, God reckons the servant acts wisely, acts wisely. And so will be lifted up and highly exalted. That is glorified like like God is glorified. But why? The song is going to return to this glorification at the end. But in between we get to see what the servant acting wisely actually is. What it is this servant does that leads to this promotion. But for now, let's just know that the servant is glorified for acting wisely. And let's, that, that, that'll be our lens for looking at the rest of the song. And immediately, verses 14 and 15 summarize what the song is going to be telling us. That from a human wisdom perspective, from a human perspective, the servant is appalling. But in God's wisdom, he'll bring about worldwide change. So, point two there, let's have a look at the servant's personal specifications. If you look with me at um, verses 1 to 3, chapter 53. And this is from the point of view of witnesses, as if described by witnesses of the servant. Um, and we're told the manner in which the servant acts wisely. Who has believed our message and to whom has the, the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low, low esteem. Now, if Isaiah's got this right, this servant is at the centre of God's purposes in the whole of history. So the whole, all creation, from the tiniest of atoms to the hugest galaxy, it, it's all about this guy. And what does he look like? Plain. Ordinary. Ugly, even. Um, there's a show called The Checkout on ABC, I don't know if you've seen it, and what people send in their pictures in a segment called Product versus Pack Shots. Um, here's one. This is uh, spinach, chicken parcels, bacon wrapped. They never quite match up, do they? What, what you get on the packet, what comes out of the box. But with the servant, with the servant, there's no attempt to add gloss or beauty or majesty. And human wisdom reacts to this as usual, as, as we do to that food. Despise him, rejected him, held in low, self, low esteem. And worse, the servant acting wisely in God's eyes is to know suffering and pain. Suffering and pain, it's not what, it's not what we'd come up with, I don't think. But this is sometimes what living as a follower of Jesus is like. Um, quoting this passage in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, says this. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 
Following Jesus, it's not all white teeth and smiles, buoyant hairdos and suburban bliss. Sometimes it's getting moved on out of the hub. Sometimes it's being accused of being intolerant and hateful. Uh, Sometimes it's having an invite to a church thing rejected. It's reading your Bible and you really don't feel like it. It's turning up to a school hall on a cold Sunday morning. Sometimes it just feels plain old drab. But God's great plan for the universe embraces the drab, uses the ugly, is impressed with the unimpressive. And ultimately, God's bringing an end to suffering and pain involves suffering and pain. And as we'll see, in God's wisdom, suffering leads to glory. So that's kind of how the servant acts wisely, the manner in which he acts wisely. But let's look at the his key tasks now, what he actually does. Um, verses 4 and 5. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is the servant's wise acts. This is what causes him to be exalted, taking on suffering that belongs to us, receiving punishment that should be ours to bring us peace. This is how Israel can make it. This is how we can make it. The servant gives up the human wisdom of self-protection, of claiming our rights, of making sure those who wrong us get their just desserts. And instead, he acts with God's wisdom, giving himself up to take our punishment. So much so that it looks like he is being punished by God. But... Why is there any punishment for this servant to take? Well, I think the Israelites sitting in Babylon know. They've got the hindsight of benefit and, and the benefit of hindsight and distance. They can see clearly how wrong they've gone, and it's uncomfortable viewing. And the witnesses in this song giving us an eternal perspective. Verse 6, God's perspective. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, servant, the iniquity of us all. You know, back in chapter 6 of Isaiah, you might remember, Isaiah caught a glimpse of just how pure and holy and magnificent God is. And it made him fear for his life. But he could see how different how iniquitous how wrong we are because we wander off following ourselves giving ourselves god's place and it results in pain injustice and suffering it results in us deserving punishment whether we think we deserve punishment or not god thinks we do and yet god's servant chooses to take that punishment for us 
And God thinks this is wise. So much so that he exalts the servant. So a couple of things to ask ourselves here. Firstly, do you know that you're a sheep gone astray? Do you know that you've followed your own way? And that's produced iniquity, it's produced wrong. And that it means we're deserving punishment. I think human wisdom, we like to fluff up this sheep and make the sheep seem a bit stupid. So it's not really the sheep's fault. But we've all followed our own way. We've all rejected God in the process of doing that. Secondly, if you are a follower of Jesus here today, have you forgotten at what greater price the grace that you enjoy came? This is a song of grace. It's a song of being undeservedly let off the hook, being given a clean slate for free. Great news. But just look at the lyrics of how that grace has been won for us. Pain, suffering, punished, stricken, afflicted, pierced, crushed, wounded, oppressed, death. It's not a case of my sin's been paid for, so it doesn't matter what I do. No, it's a case of my sin matters so much that the servant had to suffer and die for it. Remember how great a price has been paid for you and keep turning away from sin. Your sins are all covered, they're all paid for, but that doesn't mean that they don't matter to God. So how are Israel going to make it? How are we going to make it? The servant bridges the gap. The servant makes us whole. The servant brings us healing and peace with God. All this raises the question, I think, of how does this relationship between the servant and God work? Well, let's have a look, find out by looking at their point four, their key roles. Look at the key roles in this song. So firstly, there's the, the role of the servant. Uh, verse 7, he makes no protest and offers no resistance in response to his oppression and affliction. Uh, and then in verse 9, he's treated like a criminal, yet he's done no wrong. So the servant acting wisely involves him staying silent in the face of, face of unjust punishment that he doesn't deserve. Which suggests, I think, that presumably he could have chosen not to be silent, to protest his innocence and to avoid suffering. I think the point is that the servant chooses the suffering. Uh, secondly, although this song is about the servant, God has an active role in it. So verse 6, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And verse 10, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Now, lots of people have struggled over the history of Christianity, with this idea of God inflicting punishment on his innocent servant. But remember, this song is about God's wisdom, a wisdom far greater, far fairer, far more compassionate than our own wisdom. But I think a couple of things to say that I think help us understand this. 
Uh, in a moment, in point five, we'll see that suffering is not the end of the story for the servant. But the other thing is, this song is about how the servant acts wisely. That is, it's not a song about what happens passively to the servant. Rather, it's a song about what the servant chooses to do. The servant acts wisely in choosing to suffer. Let's have a look at, with me at Philippians chapter 2. It's on the slide, verses 5 and 9. Apostle Paul puts it like this. We're to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus took on the nature of a servant willingly, giving up his equality with God. Now, on a good day, Jesus could walk on water, he fed thousands of people from almost nothing, brought the dead back to life. Just imagine what he could have done at his trials. Can you imagine him before Pilate and Pilate saying, don't you realize you've got authority over life and death? I reckon Jesus could have ended the Roman Empire right then if he wanted to. Instead, he humbles himself to death on a cross. So the servant Jesus and God the Father, they're on the same page. They're at one in will and purpose. And we know that this is costly for the Father too. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so to our last point, the performance-related pain. See, this song will not allow us to see the servant's suffering in isolation. There's a, at this point now, there's like a Eurovision-style key change. It's the grand finale kicking in, and we discover that there's a payoff for the suffering. Verse 10. Though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. See, the suffering of the servant is always with a view to the glory it would bring him. And verse 11, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. There seems to be something about the servant's suffering. It's not pointless suffering. It's suffering which fulfills his task. It's suffering which means he can justify us and make us right with God. And suffering and death are not the end for the servant. There's resurrection. Life after death. God rewards the servant for pouring out his life and bearing the sins of many. The end of that song in Philippians. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Jesus has always existed, co-eternal with the Father, we call in our creeds, our statements of belief. And yet there's something about this plan that allows the Father to glorify Jesus. This isn't pointless suffering. This is suffering which brings the servant Jesus glory. And this is suffering which makes God's people in right relationship with him again. Ready to share this good news and be a light to the nations. I wonder if you'd noticed our role in this song. Where we fit in with the servant acting wisely. Well, we don't. Except that it's a song about things that are done for us. Acts taken on our behalf. Punishment born for us. Jesus' suffering brings us peace. And this bringing of peace to us is something we just have to receive. We didn't make it happen. None of us has acted this wisely. None of us have perfectly obeyed God. But Jesus has. And Jesus has, at great cost, acted wisely and done it all for us. Trust in Jesus as your saviour and your Lord, and a great exchange takes place. You get his perfect record, and he takes on your record, past and future. What a song. What a plan. How will we make it? There's no mystery. God's plan isn't a set of discoveries to be made. It's a person, the person Jesus, born for real in history. Not to point out the solution to us, but to be the solution. How are Israel going to make it? How are we going to make it? We can finish our diagram now. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the solution that brings us life. The disciples knew about it first. And then it spread to God's people, Israel. And then to us, to the Gentiles. Take it to the ends of the earth. And when Jesus returns, the whole of creation will be transformed. So this song is right in the middle of the action. It's a song woven into the, to the very fabric of creation. Right from the start of time and goes on to the very end of time. And it begins and ends with the servant Jesus being exalted and glorified. So let's us do the same, worshipping him with our very lives. I'm going to pray for us, and then Gita's going to continue in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he's willingly the servant who does it all for us. Uh, thank you for glorifying him. Thank you that he takes away and pays for the punishment we deserve. And brings us peace with you. Amen.